it was cool because because I never looked at it as some profit opportunity uh, or you know the primary business. I was able to build this structure in a really authentic way of just doing something that I love and building products that I'm really proud of. Welcome to the HGW Podcast. We're your hosts, Zoe Sakutis and Erica Huss, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. We put down the juicer and picked up the mic to start a conversation. We'll bring you behind-the-scenes information on leading brands and emerging ideas in this rapidly evolving world of wellness. Every Wednesday, we chat with experts or entrepreneurs who help us cut through the noise and bring you information you can actually use. No shaming, no guilt, just the cold-pressed truth about real ways you can feel better, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And bonus, we even share our often humiliating personal experiences, all in the name of your wellness journey. Clinical studies have shown that writing five-star reviews improves mood and circulation. So if you like what you hear, give us some love and share with a friend. Often irreverent and occasionally intuitive, consider us your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. It's so crazy, these allergies that kind of give me this allergy-induced asthma. It's weird. Nice. It's just like a little wheezy and a little coffee. Yeah, it's real sexy. And it's only for like the... Like a light switch, like for four weeks out of the year. It's the tree, it's the tree palm. How, many, how many weeks are left in oh, your cycle? God, I think it's just about done. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Clear enough. <laughs> well, I have my first cold in, I don't know, a year. Okay. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I'm not super psyched about it, honestly. Your body is telling you something. Yeah. Else. My body is telling me Relax. 10 days in Columbia is maybe like, that's the limit. And then you come back and you sit still. You don't come back and keep doing things. It's really yeah. What you happens. gotta. You have to, you need a staycation. I, I, yeah, I yeah. kind of plowed through uh, like the following weekend and that was maybe a little aggressive. Um, but I'm using all of my natural remedies. Okay, include? Well, it, it includes some throat spray from oh, yeah. our friends at Beekeepers Naturals. Beekeepers which Naturals. just so happened to be who we interviewed for one of today's two interviews Yeah, in we're awesome doubleheader. We're doing a special mashup for you guys today and making it super digestible. Um, in one hour, you will get Two, not one, but two different <laughs> stories from two amazing founders with two very amazing products. Oh, amazing, 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 Tips amazing! Jar. Shit, it's like my swear jar. It really is. Um, <laughs> it's you know, it's lazy. I think my mom would say something like, "It's intellectually lazy." It's oh, that's what she says about swearing. Actually, yeah. I mean, I think which I don't disagree. It's just become it's a catch-all. It's a catch-all. But okay, the word "amazing" we need to just retire. But I'm sorry, mom, swear words are going to, they're here to stay because sometimes nothing quite communicates Agreed. like certain words. Agreed. Anyway, going back to our products that we love and the shows that we are sharing today, about 20 minutes, 20 minutes each-ish. So like super uh, fun yeah. and easy. High and tight. So it's kind of like both ends of the spectrum. Right. So you just came back and you're like, oh, I drank too much mezcal in Colombia and now I have a sore throat and now I need my beekeepers. That's and exactly what happened. I'm spray. living proof that the today's yeah. doubleheader is that there's that, that two great days that go well together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One is like, yeah, on just different ends of the spectrum. So we're going to do Gem and Bolt Mezcal, which is infused with this beautiful herb. Thank you. Um, (laughs) That has incredible properties. And this beverage, if you don't know what mezcal is and you think it's tequila, 
We're going to stop you right there. Yeah. Please have a listen. It is beyond. It is has. And Adrena is just, she's a cool chick. She's got a great story. She's yeah. got amazing. <gasps> I said it. She's God, got. You just said amazing like three times. Don't point your finger, amazing finger at me. She's got great energy and such passion for what she created. So that's really exciting. Yeah. And then switching over to Carly Stein, who is the founder of Beekeepers Naturals, uh, who kind of stumbled into this world of natural remedies, specifically products from the bees. Yeah. She looked to the bees because she's got this crazy health issue that doesn't allow her to take antibiotics, right. which can you imagine? No. I can't even imagine. I would be so panicked. I know, but it's probably, <laughs> she's dodged a bullet in, yeah. in other ways. Anyway, she's lived to tell. Yeah. Um, goes to show that we can, in fact, live without antibiotics. I mean, maybe sometimes. <laughs> okay, I'll take that back. Anyway. But the products are delicious. And like I said, you know, we can document my, my, uh, my progress for the next several days because I definitely was feeling scratchy and gross yesterday. And I'm not feeling any worse today. So that to me is a good, that's like a testament to a product. Look, it's not going to take everything away immediately, but if it kind of truncates whatever else would happen if you weren't taking anything for, you know, symptoms of the common cold, then yeah, it's I'm, kind of like I could, I could say the same thing about mezcal. It's not going to take away the pain immediately, <laughs> but if you keep drinking it and make it a regular habit, <laughs> you're going to have a more long-term issue. And then just chase it with some propolis throat spray. <laughs> totally. All right. Anyway, have a listen. These ladies are lovely and we're so happy that we got to connect with them. Gifts from the earth. Gifts from the earth. Take it away. So welcome, Adrena. Adrena. Thank you. Co-founder of Gem and Bolt Mescal. My Everybody's favorite mezcal. My favorite mezcal. <laughs> or, or it's about to be. I don't even feel like it should be in the category of mezcal, which sounds weird. But I say that only because it just, it seems like its own animal, you know? It's very much its own thing. Yeah. Like it just sort of rises above. It's the Damiano. Yeah, it's the Damiano. It's pretty much just that. We're going to get to that. Yeah, I know. We gotta talk oh, about we're going to get to ourselves. Damiana. Um, but we're always happy to um, talk about booze on this show that is all about wellness because they're actually, <laughs> the Venn diagram is much closer than people think in, in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, and this True. is certainly a way that we like to imbibe in a healthier, better for you kind of way. Yeah. What I like to say is that, you know, when I go to the doctor and they're like, you know, how often do you drink? I'm like, a day? <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But there's something to be said, right? Like for just having that calm mind, just sort of softening the edges a little bit. Absolutely. Yes, there is a healthy component to drinking, obviously. I am master of the obvious right now. Moving on. <laughs> um, but I think we should start maybe with your story because it's so interesting. You and your co-founder, Elliot, Elliot Kuhn. Kuhn which is like the coolest, coolest, coolest. name ever. I mean, you guys both have like pretty awesome names. So I like before we get into all the deliciousness of okay. Gem and Bolt and Damiana and all of the nitty gritty there, because there's a lot to talk about and super interesting. Maybe we could start with the sort of the history, the background, how you guys met what you were doing. Well, that's juicy for sure because Ellie and I, well, I've known her since she was born. I'm older. And we came from a very remote and bohemian place in Virginia, deep in the mountains called Rappahannock, actually. It's a county. And it's like kind of 
like Tulum, people have moved there and mm-hmm. through the network they heard about it and you know, s- people knew each other somehow and just ended up there. And Rappahannock was like that in the late 60s, late 70s, early 80s. And both, um, uh, well, I'll start with our mothers. Our mothers, my mom is an activist and Elliot's mother is a rock and roll singer, but our fathers were outlaws together. Oh my God. Non-violent outlaws together. <laughs> we'll just call them bootleggers, yeah. like modern day bootleggers, so to say. And so they were best friends and you know got into all kinds of trouble together and celebrated all together. It was a big community of people. And I have yeah, known Ellie since she was... Very little born. God, it's so Bonnie and Clyde, or like Thelma and Louise, <laughs> yeah. or just like I love the word outlaws. I mean, outlaws. Yeah, it's the best word. It's the best word. So then, yeah, we you know we grew up and we both left home and went abroad basically and did all kinds of things and we came back together. Gosh, about um, eleven years ago and uh, started making work together. In the beginning, I was a curator before I started Jevon Bolt and also an artist. Mm-hmm. And I often bring I brought shows together that were. A, very, a variety of artists and quite interesting. And I brought Ellie into one of those. And um, then we started doing our work together after that. And so. she was an artist as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Okay, so you guys were working together, New Orleans. And then after that, you just said like, I think we play nicely together as adults who can like execute things. So. Yeah, well, we decided to, it was quite a, it was a funny moment. We decided to quote unquote leave the art world and we had this idea that we would start a business. We weren't sure what it was. We was it to- like a pull or a push? Were you just over it or was something pulling you away from it? It was a drive more like. We wanted to do something that brought art and celebration and plant medicine together. And um, we realized we didn't want to do it in the art world was basically. And your interest in plant medicine that stemmed from your childhood, mm-hmm. I imagine. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We grew up with a lot of herbalists, one of which Kathleen Myers, very well known and very um, talented. And mm-hmm. that's how we learned about all the juicy herbs. Okay. Yeah. So you said, let's figure this out outside of the art world. Let's actually kind of create a business. And then what happened? Oh gosh, it could be a mini series. We moved to Mexico and we started off uh, pretty much just... Where in Mexico? We moved, I had a house in Tulum. Randomly, I had a house Lucky in Tulum. Duck. Like I Jeez. had, um, it was, I had bought it for a family member and they didn't stay. So I was like, let's go to this house I have in Mexico <laughs> and uh, start brainstorming this project. And so we did that over a short period of time. And uh, then <laughs> we started off doing an elixir that was Damiana. It was based with Mezcal. And that was the very origin story of Gemma Bolt Mezcal. But we really were only planning on doing an elixir. So it started with the herb and not the actual mezcal. Yeah, we happened to be drinking mezcal. We loved mezcal and we knew that it was the cleanest spirit out there. And we were very attracted to agave as a plant. And we were like, wow, what an incredible way to make tincture and elixir. So, but it was a party elixir. It wasn't just like a health elixir. And you knew, like, so Damiana is the herb that is the sort of additional ingredient that is that makes Gem and Bolt unique, right? Yes, and exactly. so, But you knew about it through this like herbalist kind of experience that you had growing up. Yeah. And what did you know about it? What was so appealing about it to you? Well, it's a heart opener. It's an expansive elevating herb. So um, it, it brings you up and opens you up. And we knew that it was a feel-good herb. Kind of the number one, I actually 
wanted to use as a coca leaf, but obviously it's uh, <laughs> it's illegal that everywhere. Have, yeah. Like I was like, well, maybe there's somewhere some in the world. No, like, let's very just put some cocaine in it. No, let's just coca leaf is very different than no, no, cocaine. No, of no. Course. But it's wait magical. a minute. So, so Damiana, I mean, would you liken it to like an aphrodisiac? It is an aphrodisiac. Okay, so it is. But it it's not a word I always use because it has you know it's kind of a loaded word. But that is. But the reason it's an aphrodisiac is because it opens people up. And now I could say that we've done a lot of unofficial studies on the matter. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get into that too. (laughs) Focus groups, this must be super interesting. Well, we opened a speakeasy. The first thing we did is we opened a speakeasy. And so we we only served the Damiana elixir Mm -hmm. and Mezcal cocktails and some You opened it in Tulum? In Oaxaca. I mean, uh, the first one was in Oakland and then we did one simultaneously in Oaxaca. We quickly moved to Oaxaca after going to Mexico. And we had a space, uh, a warehouse space in Oakland that we were throwing shows and art events and um, we had promoters working on it as well. But we only served the Damiana Elixir and Mezcal and you could see the whole group just shift. I mean, as soon as people would take a sip of it, they would get smiley eyes and it, it shifted the celebration. I mean, it was what we were looking for. I mean, it's the perfect, it was the perfect herb. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Tyra Banks smiles. <laughs> I'm intrigued already. Um, okay, wait. So then what happened to the speakeasy in Oakland, in California? It got shut down, but it um, was open outlaws. for- Outlaws. Outlaws, couldn't help it. <laughs> Bootleggers. Uh, we were open for a year and a half, which is completely unheard of. We were in a really central location in a brick and timber warehouse. And it was amazing that it got to stay open that long. But we also had a space in Oaxaca and we were throwing gatherings there at the same time. So, And so who's like managing these simultaneous experiential <laughs> I mean, spaces and activity? I mean, we always built little teams everywhere mm-hmm. we went. So we had promoters and people that were throwing the parties in Oakland when we were not. And we would jump up there. But in Oaxaca, it was Elliot, myself and, you know, whomever we brought in. To work on the event that time, and you're so. just getting the word out like super word of mouth. That's all through your communities yeah. and your own contacts. And we were still experimenting about what Gem and Bolt was going to be mm-hmm. because Gem and Bolt was actually us as an artist duo in the beginning, and then okay, it, wait, so okay. so let's stop there yeah. and talk about the name. When you say it was you as an artist duo, mm-hmm. you mean that literally Gem and Bolt was your name? Yeah, in the beginning, it wasn't a brand; it was just our name. And when we were going to turn it into a brand, we were uncertain if it was too like like superhero pop. Because this, and we'll get to that why it was, well, I can just tell you the crazy part of it is we had no intention of having a Mezcal brand. That was never the game plan. But when we moved to Oaxaca, we were quickly um, enveloped and invited in by the community. And um, we knew quite a few Mezcal producers, you know. And that's amazing the kind of epicenter. Of amazing it all. people yeah. who are producing large scale, you know, big brands. Mm-hmm. And they always were saying, you guys, you, you're going to have a brand. And we were like, no, we're not doing a Mezcal brand. We're, we're this elixir and this creative scenario. And um, at one point, Jaime, the owner of a very good Mezcal brand, was like, wait a second, I don't understand why you have this name if you're not going to have a Mezcal brand. And Basically, the story of Mezcal goes, it's a mythology and the lightning bolt um, hit the agave gem. When all, when you cut all the leaves off of the plant, it's either called a piña or a gem. It looks like a gem and created the sap known as Mezcal. And then we were like, okay, this is too strange. I guess we're going to do it. <laughs> That's kind of a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was honestly, I've- it's still blows my mind when I really think about it. It was weird. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a bizarre... It was a little more than a coincidence. It's a little bit more than a coincidence, but that's such a beautiful visual story, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and just the idea of like 
you know, just the image of an agave plant when you shave it off. I mean, it really does look like a, a gem. gem. Mm-hmm. Looks yeah. like a big, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. God, you didn't have to hire a naming company or no. anything. Oh, <laughs> it was great being two artists. We could do all the POS and all God, the design no. ourselves. Really Talk worked out. about like intellectual property. Just <laughs> nailed it. Owned it. Okay, so you're being convinced now that you need to move beyond Damiana elixirs and turn yourselves into a proper mezcal brand. So mm-hmm. how do you make that transition? Well, something happened before that. We were already, we had stopped making just the elixir. We'd started hand infusing mezcal and serving it at all of our um, events in Oaxaca. All of our, we had a beautiful old property that was like a, you know, we had random events going on. It was like an ongoing speakeasy, but there was no schedule. So we were doing this Damiana infused mezcal cow and at this point the bottle was just a clear bottle with a gem and bolt on it nothing else and for a good year and a half that's how it was but we started driving it bootlegging it ourselves Ellie and I from Oaxaca to Tulum and we were throwing a lot of the early parties there with other friends it's kind of the beginning of gatherings in Tulum and we were building very elaborate gem and bolt altar art bars which was a big part of what's now become the brand so so should we talk about this altar bar? Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What is, so it's like art plants, the scowl, there's a lot going. How do you weave these things together and what what is an altar bar exactly? And what are these parties about, young lady? <laughs> well, the good news is now we can bring the altar bar into other people's parties as well. We do throw a yearly party in Oaxaca that is um, a reflection of the gatherings we've always thrown. That's a whole other story. But we made these in the beginning. We wanted to put our artwork into the project. So it was just a natural progression for us to build these very elaborate altar art bars. Um, Both Ellie and I did installation work. And we always used to say that installations were just a modern version of altars. So we brought in a lot of the elements that we cared about, like hands and birds and all of these things that we both worked with ongoing. Um, And we made these visual altar bars that are, they're very unusual. They're mm-hmm. not really, we brought the altar into the bar. Yeah, not, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, this has served as such an amazing like vehicle for your artistry. Well, the crazy thing is, is that, you know, in Oaxaca, the altar is uh, a big part of people's lives. You know, during Day of the Dead, everybody builds an altar for their ancestors. And usually in the house, there's an altar that's just kind of there ongoing. And most people have mezcal on it. And very naturally, like as more modern humans are building altars in the house, people are putting gem and bolt on their altars. It's like across, it's like happening across the country. Is it like... Is it like Jesus on the cross and then like a bottle of mezcal? And then like, that what can else be is in Oaxaca that oh, can what? happen, absolutely. What else but is on this altar? The, I would say the, the US ones are more like a crystal and some sage and some gem and gold. Mm-hmm. Right, it's a little bit more. A little all more. the important elements. Yeah. Sounds a little more Venice. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. So you're doing the altar bars. This is 2012 Tulum events. And at this point, I mean, the product is in bottles, but you said no label really. And it's just a gem and bowl. Just a gem it, and a bowl. Yeah. And people loved that, of course. And so there's all of this intrigue around. And at mm-hmm. that point, are you thinking like, okay, how are we going to grow this and scale this? Or was it more like just this is a day-to-day and whatever happens, happens? Or when was there a moment where like a long-term vision kind of crystallized for you? I think that we, very early on, we had a vision of the project and we were really just following it organically because from the very beginning, even before we had anything, we just had a gem and a bolt 
and some of the kind of relics we were starting to create, even before the elixir, like months before the elixir, people were very attracted to it. So it had like an attraction and as it became an elixir and a mezcal, it gathered a cult following very quickly. So we were just organically going along until we started throwing the, the gatherings in Tulum. At that point, we started partnering with a lot of amazing people and quickly some opportunities came into play. So we became legal. We realized we needed to have investors. You know, We realized, oh, if we're going to go down this route, we need to get advisors in the spirits world. And we got serious very quickly. When you guys we got all legal and stuff. I know. It was, it was next phase. Yeah, but that's no, no joke. I mean, compliance is like that when you have to kind of make that hurdle. I mean, we we had a very small version of that with Blueprint, which was really just going from being a direct-to-consumer brand to getting onto the shelves at Whole Foods. And there were things that we needed to do to, you know, protect the juice and make it, you know, compliant. Well, because it was raw. Yeah, right? it was raw. Like, and we didn't know oh, it what was we just, raw. Yeah, yeah, that was the whole hook. That was the and hook. you can't sell it through a third-party retailer. So it must have been a huge learning curve for you to kind of see all of the things that you thought you'd never have to consider as being part of this brand that are now like high-priority basically roadblocks unless you can actually figure out how to get over them. Ooh, spirits world is quite yeah. a puzzle. Yeah. Like yeah. The laws, the legalities, specifically in the US, but in other places as well. It's not as intense, but they're always there, of course. But the US, because of you know the leftovers from prohibition, it's insane, honestly. Mm. But it's interesting, you know, that's the good news. It's quite yeah. interesting to figure out. I mean, One of the ideas behind the reason that we're so invited into Oaxaca is because of the way that Ellie and I were raised mm-hmm. in a very bohemian community-driven scenario. Yeah. They just they just like smelled it on you. Mm-hmm. They were like, Pretty oh, much. we know what's up with these ladies. No, I mean, really, that's the in. way it rolled. Let's make, some, let's make some mezcal. That's the way it rolled. We were very supportive. And it's, yeah. it's mostly men. And we're, I mean, mm-hmm. Oaxaca is very special. Have either of you been to yes. Oaxaca? Yeah. <gasps> Actually, Love the it. first time I've had mezcal, so the first time I went to Oaxaca was in 2000. But yeah, Oaxaca is amazing. It really is a beautiful it just feels different. I'll share a story I haven't told before. I don't usually tell about. I first landed in Oaxaca. Ellie wasn't there with me. Um, we'd both been wanting to go. We were already using mezcal in the elixir. And I had a broken heart. And um, I was there by mm. myself. I met many of the characters we still know today. And artists and everybody out drinking mezcal. And I cured a broken heart in two weeks yeah. <laughs> with mezcal. It works fast. And it said in Oaxaca, you know, I mean, in Oaxaca, they say that mezcal is medicine. Obviously, we can't we can't say that. But the we Oaxacans can say it. Let's just say, say it. it. And it um, I really experienced that on yeah. an emotional level. Really, it was really interesting. Well, yeah. I have somewhat of a broken heart at the moment. Let's drink, yes. ladies. Have it. <laughs> Let's do it. You need a mezcal. Wait. So, what is the? Just really quickly, like, what is the the difference between tequila and mezcal for for those who don't know? So tequila is made only with blue um, agave and in the state of Jalisco. You also can add up to 50% filler and sugars with tequila and it's not made artisanally. There are a few that are made artisanally just to give them credit, but, and there are some that are 100% agave, of course, but majority, great, great majority are basically what we would consider in mezcal industrially made. Mm -hmm. And mezcal has to be 100% agave, is made in eight different states, but primarily known for the production in Oaxaca because it's so delicious from there. And there are a variety of agaves that 
can be used. We use a very kind of standard, let's just call it like a table agave espadine because of the way it mixes with the Damiana. And that's the one that you see most commonly, right? The espadine. It's the most common and we're, we were actually quite happy that it was what worked best for us mm-hmm. because you know there are a lot of beautiful wild varietals, but it's um, a tender moment because some of them are becoming extinct and mm-hmm. the mez community, all of us are working really hard to not let that happen. But when you're producing a larger amount of them and you know exporting them, anyway, the point is is that Espadine is the most sustainable and I'm really glad we're using mm-hmm. it for our main mezcal. And is it becoming extinct because we're just overproducing it right now? Um, well, they're wild. So they grow in the wild. People gather them and they don't replant them and we haven't okay. learned how to properly replant them. But now we are learning that and it is happening. So there's so much passion around mezcal and the, the mezcal community is so strong and yeah. protective that I feel like we're on a good road. And I hope so. I yeah. feel like we just, I mean, I'm certainly speaking for the, <laughs> on, from our perspective, the American culture, we just have such this terrible way of just like over-consuming yeah. whatever it is. So like, you know, the quinoa farmers yes, were going through know, struggles is, a few it's years It's not ago. funny. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's a horrible so, story. I mean, it feels like the community does have to band together and say, yeah. okay, like, like, let's get ahead of this and let's really activate these, you know, replanting efforts or whatever needs to happen to keep yeah. this sustainable and to keep it in, intact as it once was because otherwise we just like we bastardized this yeah time. wow mm-hmm. okay so bring us up to where we are now you guys got oh, yeah. huge distribution at this point right yeah well we are we launched in the US in 2016 and in, in the spring and we started in Austin we just start in a smaller city and that went very well and we moved to LA and then um, New York and now we're in Florida we're in the UK we're in Spain and um New Jersey, mm-hmm. Spain, and Denver. New Jersey. I love how you're normal trajectory. <laughs> you're like Greece, London, Jersey. Jersey. We are we are in Mykonos, um, <laughs> and that's both in an on-premise and retail exactly. scenario. Okay, we're so both on and off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one a stronger channel for you at this point. You know. Um, usually on premise is like the way you, you really push forward, which is the way we have pushed forward, but we do very well in off premise as well. Because we had such a cult following in the early days in Mexico, that really translated when we launched in New York and LA because people were like, and they go buy it at the store and serve it at their parties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just did an episode uh, with a functional medicine doctor yeah. and we literally just focused on like the healthiest way to drink. And she talked. I mean, she's just singing, you know, Mescal's praises the entire time. Oh, good. Yeah. Love to so, hear that. Um, as much as I love me some red wine. Me too. It's um, dangerous martinis. though. You know, and Martin, mm-hmm. like I don't. Everything I like in everything. moderation. Mm-hmm. Maybe Mescal is slightly larger than moderation. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, her whole point was to, to what you're just saying, which is like, yes, it's you're not going to have a hangover. Um, but anyway. Don't quote me on that. I mean, it's just like obviously too much of anything. Just try it. That's what we say. We're like, don't quote us on it. Just, and you can't mix though. Number one, you can't mix any other alcohol and you can't have mixers. You need to drink it on the ice or straight. And that's that. Like, what is your position? Little squeeze of grapefruit. The rocks, because I mean, obviously, purists are like, it's only supposed to be sipped out of little tiny cups. But, you know, we have a way of taking things and changing Americanos. them. I mean, yeah. Do you have, are, are you are you a purist through and through or do you allow for ice and <laughs> the occasional slice of fresh fruit? I 
as a standard at home, only drink it straight. And when I'm in Oaxaca, I mean, that's kind of my, that's the way I naturally drink it. But I really like it with ice and a twist of either orange, like peel or grapefruit peel. The grapefruit's really nice. I actually really enjoy it. And I'll drink that out at restaurants a lot Mm -hmm. because you get like a, it's like having a, it's like a cocktail, but it's not a cocktail and you have the ice and it waters down. And, you know, I find I have to really pace myself with, um, you know, just a, a little, little sipper, a little sipper of, yeah. of mezcal. I sip it, but it goes quickly. It so. goes real quick. Ice quickly. really helps. And those tiny cups are just so cute. I know. <laughs> you guys have these beautiful oh, black they're, ceramic. They're um, beautiful. What, what it's black clay from it's Oaxaca. Clay. So, all right. Well, this is like what else? What else do we want to cover here? I think that's good. Yeah. That was pretty well. That's pretty circular. Do we make the circle? I think yeah, the circle think so. was pretty good. I think so I think we probably want to tell people where they can find it. Oh yeah. Well, you can go on the website and there's a little locator thing that works very well in any of the given cities. It's under the buy me, jevonbolt.com, buy me. And so you're not able to ship to every state at this point? On the website, you can hit the ship to me button and you can test it out. There's a place in California that ships, but you have to be a legal state, so. Okay. Yeah. All right. How many, like how many roughly, like what percentage of the states are um, legal or un- illegal? Like how many states can you ship to? So it basically it's where we have distribution. That's okay. the legality. So okay. wherever we have distribution, you can ship there. You know, they ship all over. You have to say that you have distribution. Like you have to say, yes, you can. It's legal here. But okay. um, it's kind of the call of the, the person it. who's receiving it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So many crazy laws and spirits. Mm-hmm. Oof. Jeez Louise, spirit um, world. All right. Well, and and if you can't get it on the ground at your local liquor store uh, or a restaurant, make sure to speak to the owner. Yes, just go <laughs> always. In and ask for it. Yeah, ask for the manager always. Mm. All right, Adriana, Adriana. Thank you so, so nice. much. So fun, yeah, ladies. So much. Such a so sweet story. Yay. Yay! Thanks for having me. Hey, partner. Hey, partner. You want to talk about our other partners? Wait, you have another partner other than me? There are a lot of partners in this relationship. Listen, if you want to open it up and, you know, invite people into the circle and have multiple partners, then I'm totally down. <laughs> down. Well, whether you are thirsty or hungry or just need to relax, there is actually something for everybody on our partners page, which is at htwpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of brands on there that we love and who are in return showing you some love with up to 25% off when you use the discount codes under our, you guessed it, partners, partners page. page. So we've got products like Cure Hydration, which is a hydration drink mix that is actually more hydrating than an IV drip that and made with real ingredients. Crazy. Yeah. That is totally crazy. And we've got Hungry Root, which is another amazing brand. Healthy, ready-to-eat convenience foods that are delivered straight to your door. We both subscribe and are longtime users and lovers. And speaking of using, we've got Daily Habit, which is a CBD uh, coconut-based powder that you can put into your tea or your smoothie or your coffee or whatever you need to just chill the F out. Mm Mm-hmm which I think we all often need to do. And so again, please go to hwpodcast.com slash partners to check out all of the amazing brands that we love, many more than we just mentioned. And you'll get some amazing discounts along the way. Check it out, guys. So hello and welcome, Carly Stein. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. 
Um, We're very happy to connect with you and we want to hear all about this very cool world that you are now in the center of having to do with bees and honey and propolis and all of the fun stuff that comes with it. Yeah. So I run Beekeepers Naturals, which is a supplement company and we work with all kinds of bee products. And um, I got into it in kind of a weird way. I started beekeeping... Uh, when I was in college. And it really all started just because I have an autoimmune condition where I can't take antibiotics. So growing up, I was always this sickly kid. I was just like always super sick. I had chronic tonsillitis, always had strep throat, always run down. And I was like that kid that was just missing so much school and everything all the time. Um, And then when I was in college, that unfortunately continued. And more and more, I started to really explore the natural world because I'm allergic to most conventional medicine. And when I was in my third year of college, I did a semester abroad. I went to Europe. And while I was traveling in Italy, I came down with really severe tonsillitis. And this is something that I've been chronically dealing with. But it was really severe to to the point where I was having a really hard time breathing. Uh, And I was going to have to come home and have surgery. And that sucked because I left my ass waitressing to get out to Europe and have this like, you know, big time abroad. And I was like, awesome. Again, I have to cut something short and miss out um, because of these stupid, weird health issues that nobody can explain to me. So I was, you know, kind of sick of it and had worked really hard and saved up a lot to be out there and was, you know, about going to do everything that I can't could to stay out there. And so I started just searching in the natural world for something. And I went into a pharmacy in Florence and the pharmacist took one look at me and my cheek. I don't know if you've seen anyone with tonsillitis in a really severe way, but my cheeks were swollen. I was like visibly ill. Mm. So I went into a pharmacy in Florence and the pharmacist took one look at me and could see that I was visibly ill. And I talked to her a little bit about my tonsillitis and she was just like... Did you have to explain all of this in Italian? No, and I could not have. Oh my God, that's lucky. I got very sick when I was in France, when I was living in France after college, and I had to actually explain my symptoms in French, which was no easy feat, and they were not easy symptoms, and it was a nightmare. So you got lucky. That's very good. I got really lucky. Lucky. She spoke English very well, and my Italian was so broken, it didn't have worked. And also, I was visibly, like, I think she just knew right. what was up. It I actually, opened my mouth and she could see my tonsils and she language. was like horrified. <laughs> yeah, it was wow. that bad. Um, so she she looked at me and I, I literally opened my mouth and showed her my tonsils and I couldn't even open my mouth properly because it was so sore and swollen. Ugh. And she was like, you need propolis. And I was like, okay, what's that? Never heard of it. And I fancied myself quite the expert when it came to the natural world. And she's like, from the bees. And I was like, oh, okay, so honey. And she's like, no, 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 propolis, totally different. And so at that point, I was like, okay, I guess this is a language barrier (laughs) because the bees only make honey. I mean, that's what I thought. But sure, I'm desperate. I'll try it. She seems pretty sure that this is what I need. So I buy this little tincture and it has like no information on it. It's like a little glass tincture of propolis. And I start using it. And within about five days, I had... I was based, I basically fully recovered. So this propolis stuff, it functioned in my body the way antibiotics do for normal people. And for me, I had never had a healing experience like that. I'd never experienced quick recovery or being able to take something that actually soothed me. Every time I took something, I would have some crazy adverse reaction or, you know, nothing working in, in a lot of the products I was using. 
So, you know, actually feeling better and seeing a remarkable reduction in inflammation and, you know, the pain going away and all that stuff, that was really new for me. And it wasn't overnight. It was about five days and a lot of propolis. Yeah. How often are you taking it and how much did you use? I can't remember exactly how much. I think I went through like two or three tinctures. They were little glass tinctures and it was like an alcohol-based propolis drops, which mm-hmm. tasted terrible. Um, tasted like vodka because it was in alcohol-based. But I went through quite a bit of it and I had that healing experience. And that was really exciting for me and just kind of a game changer for my health. So after that, I, one, was able to continue my semester abroad, which was a dream come true. But also, as I traveled around, I started to really notice these different bee products. Uh, just because all across Europe, people were really you know, using these different things and had an awareness of them and were benefiting from them. Whereas in North America, we really only know we're talking about honey. So I remember being in Copenhagen and getting bee pollen on my smoothie bowl. Now bee pollen is kind of trendy, but 2012, it wasn't super well known. And when I was in France, I was seeing royal jelly and skincare products and anti-aging products. And propolis was really easy to find in a lot of different places. And so I was kind of obsessed with this category of products and baffled by the fact that I hadn't found it at home and the fact that I have like such a sensitive system and a really weak immune system and this stuff was just working. So I kind of fell in love with it just as a consumer and you know was integrating all these different bee products from pollen to royal jelly in every way from like skincare stuff to you name it. And I was feeling better and really just experiencing these awesome results with them. And so I just, I, I was like, this is great. I found what's working. Definitely not thinking about starting a company around it at that time. But as a consumer, I was really stoked. And I felt like my life was going to meaningfully improve, which it did on the health front. Uh, and then I came home to finish up college. And of course, midterms rolled around in my final year and I got really bad strep throat. And so I was like, okay, no big deal. Just need propolis. I went to the local Whole Foods. Nobody had any idea what I was talking about. And I went to a few different health food stores and they didn't have propolis. And then I finally did find it at a farmer's market. And I found it at this like amazing booth at the farmer's market. It was all these beautiful artisanal bee products and these like really cool jars. And I took home this propolis and used it. And I had a really severe reaction to it. And I learned that a lot of bee products in the market, even the beautiful organic farmer's market ones have trace amounts of pesticides in them. And for me, with all of my allergies, that's a no-go. So I was like, great. I finally found what I needed and it's not working for me. Uh, I don't know what to do now. Now it's like, you know, back to square one and I'm just going to be the sick person all the time. And so I figured I need to take matters into my own hands. And once I really identified that the reason I reacted was pesticides, I was like, okay, I just need to get bee products without pesticides which is really challenging given our current agricultural environment. Because if you think about bee products, even if the bees are placed on organic land, bees aren't like cattle or right, you know, they're not, they're not livestock. Exactly. You can't like... talent. Yeah. You can't <laughs> sense them in. They'll fly. And they'll fly and forage for a five-mile radius. And if you think about the current landscape, it's really hard to get a five-mile radius you know, all around in the agricultural world of just pure, clean grounds. Like next, the organic farms are next door neighbors. A lot of them are not organic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the bees will fly over and there's runoff and there's all kinds of things. And that's not necessarily always the case, but a lot of the time, unfortunately, it is. 
just because that's the state of affairs in our world. So I was like, you know what? I just need to find bee products that are in the middle of nowhere. I need to like find some weird forest and like get some bees there. And I'm from Canada. I went to college in Canada. So I had a real benefit there being on a massive landmass with a tiny population. Um, and I got online and I reached out to this local beekeeping association, just kind of explaining myself. And they put me in touch with one of their beekeepers, this guy named John, who he's actually, he was a retired biochemist from Romania who moved to Canada to be a recluse. And this is on Vancouver Island. So like pretty isolated. And uh, he said that there was no pesticides around, that he's run tests and that I could purchase bee products from him in the raw state, but he wasn't going to like put them into tinctures or even jars for me. I was like buying stuff in buckets and Ziploc. But I was like, fine, cool with that. I'll figure it out. So I start purchasing. I, I go to meet him the first time to just buy some product. And that was my first time seeing an apiary, which is a bee farm. And the second I saw the bees, I was just like, holy shit, I need to be around this more. So I was already in love with the products they made, but I didn't know anything about the meaningful role they play in our ecosystem or just the complexities of the hive. And the second I was exposed to all of that, and I've always been kind of like nature hippie chick. Um, the second I was exposed to that, I was just so fascinated. So I asked him if I could work for him for free. And next thing you know, I was a beekeeper's apprentice. And that was the start of people thinking I was insane. <laughs> Especially now beekeeping is like kind of cool and hipster. But in 2012, when you're a college student, but I was learning everything from him and it was a really amazing experience. He was a fantastic mentor and friend and um, he's still a great friend. And it was cool too, because he had a very scientific lens. So he was teaching me some really interesting things about the bees and bee products. And I was really fascinated with the products. And then I had the added benefit of being a student. So, you know, I could take this raw propolis into my chem lab and, you know, use tools to evaporate the uh, alcohol that I distilled it in out and, and make like a spray. And so I started just kind of building product for myself, still totally not thinking about it as a company because what kind of crazy person built a company around bees? But I was like, you know, this stuff is working for me. I loved it. It was my hobby and my passion. And then I started sharing these products with roommates. And next thing you know, people on campus were Facebook messaging me to try these products. And all of a sudden, I had a real demand. And that was a really interesting point. So I was like, okay, this is working for more people than just me. And this isn't the LA hot wellness market. This is like a group of college students in Canada who are price sensitive and willing to pay a premium for something natural that works for their cold and flu. So I started making these propolis sprays. And I would literally buy like, at the start, I would use like empty cosmetic bottles. Um, and then I would buy just like little spray bottles and I would sell them to people. Um, and I was just kind of this like B drug dealer, but I loved it. And I was really getting great feedback and really excited about what I was doing. And my own health was again, like better than ever. And then I graduated and I, in my sum, in one of my summers, I had interned at the Clinton foundation and I was an intern. So I did a lot of things, but one of the things I did there was led their prescription drug abuse initiative. So I was doing some pharmaceutical research. Um, and I've always been really interested in research. Uh, and then I got a job offer from a hedge fund to carry on research there. And taking this good job offer at a hedge fund when you're a broke college student versus selling bee products from your backpack sounded like the right <laughs> move. And my friends and family were very encouraging that, you know, they felt that that was really the right move for me. 
So I took this job and I was at the hedge fund for about 10 months. And then I got recruited by Goldman Sachs and I joined Goldman as a trader. And I was at Goldman for just over two years. And it was during that time that my mental health really declined. Uh, I had a really awesome experience at Goldman in so many ways. And it created a supportive structure that allowed me to bootstrap what is now my company. Um, But I was really unhappy. I was doing this job that was never something that I wanted. I was totally misaligned with my team. Like I'm, I'm very purpose driven and I'm obsessed with the environment and wellness and, um, you know, on the trading floor, not many people, at least not on my team, shared those values. Uh, And I was working insane hours. Um, I was on a team where I was the only junior and I was just really, really isolated. And I became really depressed. I wasn't sleeping. My health declined again. And I just got to a place where I was like, okay, this is not sustainable. And I don't know what to do. And I really felt trapped because I was in this weird position where I was receiving externally more positive feedback than I ever had in my life. Especially you know, when you're in New York working at Goldman Sachs and you tell people what you do, people sort of auto think you're smart. Um, and that was interesting. Like that was, that was great. It was you know, fueling my ego at that time. Um, but I was really, really unhappy. So I sat down and I made a spreadsheet about happiness. And I was trying to identify the points in my life where I was really, really happy and what was happening at those times so I could get back to it. And the things I kept coming back to were building products and beekeeping. And beekeeping wasn't really an option for me because I was between Toronto and Manhattan. But I could build products. I could, I could get John to ship raw product to me. I could order a beaker and some lab tools on Amazon. And I could make products in my teeny tiny apartment in the West Village. And that's what I started doing. And I was like, you know what? People have weird hobbies. My thing can just be making bee products. It's the same thing as baking. Like People who love to bake and they give their friends cookies and muffins. I just love to make bee products. And for Christmas, all of my friends and family are going to receive like cool artisanal products. <laughs> and so I was kind of justifying it in that way because I was scared and I didn't believe in myself at all. But I started doing this and I absolutely loved it. <laughs> I still love it. And I started making enough that I could sell it at farmer's markets. So I started on the weekends, standing at farmer's markets and you know different pop-up markets and pop-up shops and selling them. And that was another time where people thought I was crazy because what Goldman Sachs trader spends their weekend standing at a farmer's market booth for fun. But it was a really cool experience because I got to have a direct dialogue with my customers. And I, I became really inspired by the fact that, again, this was working for a pretty broad population. And people started to share their stories with me. I remember one woman, she had a six-year-old son who had chronic strep throat and he's autoimmune and you know allergic to everything and sort of had a similar experience to me. But hearing the hardship of that from a mother was really interesting. And my propolis was the only thing that worked for him. And then she wanted to send some to her sister-in-law who's in Chicago. So next thing you know, I'm like shipping across the US and I'm getting all these emails. And I was like, okay, maybe I should set up a website. So I did that. And I, still, I'm kind of just calling this a hobby and I'm doing everything in a reactive way. But it was cool because because I never looked at it as some profit opportunity uh, or you know the primary business. I was able to build this structure in a really authentic way of just doing something that I love and building products that I'm really proud of and that work for me and sharing them. And that's 
sort of the basis of the company and we've, we've kept those values today. So anyways, I'm selling these products. It gets to a point where I have this like wild double life. Um, we started selling the products in retail locations in Canada and we were in, you know, five, 600 stores across Canada. We launched, we launched with Whole Foods. Um, we ha- we were selling internationally online and I literally wasn't sleeping, but I was feeling happy again. And it got to a point where I was like, okay, someone has to run this company and I want it to be me more than anything. So that's when I got the first ideas of leaving, but it was very hard to leave. People thought I was insane. My friends and family and they had good intentions here, but they interventioned me. Like people legitimately thought I was destroying my life. So that was really scary because I was taking a massive risk. I had put my savings into this company. Um, I was walking away from a lucrative profession with a good path forward to do something that was crazy. And I think, you know, had I even had I said something that there was some like precedent for if I was like, hey guys, I'm starting a cosmetic company or building a fintech app or even like raw chocolate, because there's more of a market for it, I think people would take to that a little bit better. But B products, people did not even understand what that means because I had to really build up my confidence and get really sure of myself and teach myself how to get all the all the all my support internally. Uh, and that's really what you need, you guys know. To, to run and build a business because there's always going to be doubts and a lot of voices and a lot of people telling you what they think is right. So getting in touch with your gut and figuring out um, how to support yourself is critically important. So I'm grateful for that. And what I ended up doing is leaving Goldman and immediately booking a ticket, one-way ticket to Indonesia because everyone thought I was batshit crazy and I had to get the fuck out and get to a place where no one knew me and I could just put my head down and work. And I spent Three months in Southeast Asia, I worked out of a co-work space. It was an amazing experience. I basically just worked on my business plan and my projections. I started formulating product with the plan that when I came back, I would put it all to action. So three months later, I came back to North America and did it. Um, I brought some new products to market. I opened a pre-seed, raised a little bit of money and started building the company. And it's a year and a half since I closed my, my round. And we went from just me a year and a half ago to 16 employees and, and growing. And that's kind of where we are today. <laughs> wow. That is a really an incredible journey. Oh my God. So how many, how many doors are you guys in now? How many accounts do you have? So where can we find in, this amazing product? So we primarily sell online. We're a direct-to-consumer business. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, but we're in around 700 stores between Canada and the U.S. In the U.S., we're in select retailers. So we're in, you know, Erewhon's. If you're Texas-based, we're in Central Markets. Um, we're in Urban Outfitters. We uh, we have a store list online. So we're in just a few different accounts all over the place. In Canada, we're pretty broadly distributed. So you can get us at Whole Foods. Um, you can get us at almost most products in the natural health world. And then we sell on Amazon and yeah, our website's a great place. And one really exciting thing with Amazon is we are right now in the top five for cold and flu products. And that's really exciting because as you guys know, Amazon's a mass marketplace and we're beating out legacy brands like NyQuil and Buckley's. So that's incredible. in a really big market are starting to turn their attention to natural and it's a good sign for the natural product world and for people yeah. making their choices. So can you talk a little bit more specifically about 
propolis and like what what is actually happening when like why does it fight colds and flus and what what is the actual science behind it yeah so i'll start off by maybe talking about what propolis is in the beehive because people are always asking and you know i was one of these people the difference between propolis and honey in these different products so just to break that down a little bit honey you can think of as the bee's carbs, it's their energy source, it's their source of fuel, and it's collected from floral nectars. Whereas propolis, it's used in the hive, it's used as the medicine of the hive, and it's collected from plant and tree resins. So rather than floral nectars, the base ingredient is plant and tree resins, and then the bees put it through their enzymatic process and turn it into this sticky amber-colored substance called propolis, and then they use it to line the entire hive to keep it germ-free. And they line the, wall, the uh, inside of the cell walls for newborn baby bees to create a sterile environment for newborns. And they even have a propolis mat at the front door. And this is one kind of cool propolis fact. So let's say a predator gets into the hive like a mouse. The bees can sting the mouse and kill it, but they can't physically carry a mouse out of the hive. And a decaying rodent in your living room would cause some serious disease. Just like if we had a dead body in our kitchen, we'd get pretty sick. Um, so what the bees do is they mummify this dead mouse in propolis, and it's that powerful of an antimicrobial, antibacterial substance that it protects the entire hive from this decaying creature in the middle of their room. Um, propolis acts as you know nature's protector. It acts as the immune system and the medicine for the bees. And then for humans, it functions very much in the same way. And we have a really long-term healing history with propolis as well, which is super cool. So the first recorded human use of propolis dates back to 300 BC. The name propolis was actually coined, it's thought to be coined by Aristotle, and it means defender say, it has of the to city. Be a Greek. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so it means defender of the city. So, you know, in the, before the advent of antibiotics, this is really what people in a big way were using to heal, which is super cool. And, you know, Cleopatra used propolis in her beauty routine. The Incas would drink propolis to reduce fever. So across cultures, people were using propolis to heal and support their bodies. As a substance, propolis has over 300 beneficial compounds. It's antiviral, antibacterial, antimicrobial, and anti-inflammatory. It's really high in caffeic acid, enzymes. Um, it even has trace amounts of vitamins and minerals. But it's really powerful as an immune booster because it's antibacterial, antiviral, antimicrobial, and anti-inflammatory. And the reason it's really great for people with sort of sensitive systems, people like me, is because it's prebiotic and it's anti-inflammatory and it's really nourishing for the gut. And so it doesn't, it doesn't sort of throw off your gut the way a lot of antibiotics that we take today do, or even you know, natural things like oil of oregano can be pretty destructive to the gut uh, for some people. So propolis has that powerful germ-fighting ability without any of the harshness on the rest of your body. And it's also a really stabilizing substance. So it actually helps to regulate the body, even really good for inflammatory conditions like colitis, any sort of things with the gut and viral things from like herpes, H. pylori. There's a lot of different things that propolis can be really beneficial for because it's just an all natural immune booster antibacterial substance. And does it have, I mean, you were saying before, kind of comparing it to honey, does it have its own taste or sweetness or is it neutral? It does. It tastes a little bit sweet. It has a more medicinal flavor than honey. Our propolis spray has zero grams of sugar as well. Um, the vegetable glycerin helps it to have a little bit of a sweet flavor as well without any calories. So you can um, use it potentially as a sweetener. Yeah, you totally can. We have a lot of uh, keto customers as well who use it as their go-to cold and flu remedy. But probably not vegans because they are upset about the bees. So Let's vegans talk are interesting that. for us. Yeah, love talking about that. So. 
we actually we consider ourselves a vegan company. And what that means is basically we have quite a, we have a pretty good demographic of vegans that really champion our brand. And that's because we practice what we call sustainable beekeeping. And that's basically just beekeeping in a way where we really put the bees first. We're very aware in all of our practices of the fact that the bees are rapidly declining and integral to our ecosystem. And so we're constantly monitoring, I think, our practices around getting the bees away from pesticides, which we do. We did it originally for product quality. And we're the only bee product company that practices third-party pesticide testing. So all of our products are super pure, super clean. And the truth is, you know, a little tiny bit, like the trace amounts of pesticides, if you're not autoimmune or dealing with something specific, they probably wouldn't hurt you. But I also strongly feel that if you're purchasing products to heal or detox, you shouldn't be purchasing things that are exposing you to some of the toxins in the environment that maybe are making you sick. So um, that's something that we started off doing from a product quality standpoint. So we could really be different and really give people something clean and authentic that they could trust without any pesticides. But in doing that, we're able to really create a sustainable environment for the bees. So creating an environment where we're keeping bees in a sort of slow, old-fashioned way, actually getting them away from pesticides, which are one of the number one things affecting bee populations. Um, we've seen our hives really grow and multiply over time. And so the way that we keep bees, I always say this to vegans, it's actually more damaging to eat an almond than it is to eat one of our Beekeepers Naturals bee products because more bees are harmed in commercial pollination by far than any bees um, are harmed in our product line. And then the other thing too is we're trying to really create changes in the industry. So just to let me know if I'm going too deep on this stuff here, but the beekeeping environment has really changed. So what's happened as we've lost the bees, which are you know the world's most effective pollinators, and at the same time, demand for certain crops that are primarily bee pollinated from almonds to avocados to apples has gone up. So we have less bees, more demand for these different crops. And what's happened there is the commercial beekeeping, the commercial pollination industry has really grown. So beekeepers now get paid to put their bees on a truck, bring them over to an almond orchard, for example, in February in California during the almond bloom, let them loose to pollinate, and then get them back on the truck and bring them home. And yeah, sure, that can be done in a safe, careful way. But a lot of the times the bees are sort of thrown on the back of the truck. It's really jarring. They're let loose. There's situations where while the bees are let loose, there's pesticides being sprayed, which is devastating and damaging. Um, they're, they're, you know, mixing, sharing disease with other bees. There's a lot of issues with how it's done generally. So finding beekeepers who want to do things sustainably, but are maybe having a hard time making ends meet because the industry has changed so much. And um, there's just not as much demand for raw bee products because people can buy them very cheaply from China. So finding those people and being like, hey, hold up, you know, you don't need to stick your bees on a truck and go down the commercial pollination road. You can keep your bees in a certain place as long as you meet our standards of sustainability and we'll purchase all of the raw product and we'll compensate you fairly for your sustainable practices. So that's what we've kind of done with our beekeeping network and what we're building up as we grow. So where do you take this beyond your current lineup? Beyond, get beyond, it? Beyond, yes. Where are you, where are <laughs> oh you sort of evolving <laughs> in the next few years and, and just in terms of growth and like maybe product line extensions or other areas that you think you might want to delve into? Yeah. So first of all, I love the bee puns. Um, I get so <laughs> many bee puns every day. It's amazing. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot that we want to do. So right now, if you look at our line, we have, we're trying to kind of look at what we're trying to do is revamp the medicine cabinet. 
And we sit at the intersection of nature and science. So we're using all natural ingredients and drawing on a lot of sort of ancient wisdom from the hive, but we're building it in a very scientific fashion. So we have, you know, a 30 person contract chem team we work with. We have a head chemist uh, on our team and everything that we build as well, we get NPN certification. So we're legally validating all of the health claims we make. What's Natural product number. So in the US, you know how there's like FDA and then it's kind of wild, wild west with natural. Mm-hmm. You can kind of just get anything and put a pretty brand on it and make some claims. Um, but in Canada and, and other parts of the world, there is a regulatory structure for natural products. And we chose to build our products in Canada and sort of abide to that regulatory framework because one, it makes us globally compliant with standard with supplement standards. But two, again, it's just holding ourselves to a really high standard. And that's something that's really important to me and framed by my experience. Like I remember spending money that I really didn't have on all of these like green powders and this and that from Whole Foods and being really disappointed um, when things weren't working. So the way that we formulate things is we're looking at bioavailability, we're looking at absorption, um, we're looking at you know third-party studies to really figure out what works for the broadest demographic possible. And knowing that there's never going to be one thing that works for every human in the world, we're trying to build products that are suitable for the broadest population possible. Um, and then we're also trying to really be compliant with things like different dietary restrictions. If we want to have keto options and sugar-free options and gluten-free, dairy-free, and all of our products are 100% natural, no preservatives, no added sugars, no flavors, none of that stuff. I just really don't believe in that. But yeah, we, we really have a scientific lens. Our tagline is naturally sourced, obsessively tested, and that's kind of what we're all about. Awesome. Um, well, thank you so much, Carly. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at hgwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.